Welcome to Investing for Ocean Impact, the podcast making the business case for conserving our ocean. I'm Dorothy Hare. This is part two of our double feature on blue bonds. In the previous episode, we learned about the different types of blue bonds, including that for nature swaps. These type of deals restructure large amounts of national debt, including like the example of the Seychelles. But nowadays we're seeing a whole new generation of debt for nature swaps, with the big one announced by Belize last year in 2021 and another this year in Barbados. So I have invited two of the people responsible for designing these bonds onto the program to ask how they work, how widely they could be replicated and to try and explain the complex insurance clauses tying it all together. Those two people are the wonderful Slav Gatchev, Managing Director of Sustainable Debt at The Nature Conservancy, or TNC. Hi, Dorothy. Very happy to be here. And the inimitable Simon Young, Senior Director of the Climate and Resilience Hub at the insurance company Willis Towers Watson. Good afternoon, Dorothy. It's great to be here with you and, and Slav. Slav, in the last episode, we talked about different types of blue bond, including that for nature swaps. And we talked a little bit about the Seychelles, where TNC, the Nature Conservancy, was also involved. What personally excites you about that for nature swaps? Yeah, it is honestly a very exciting niche of finance, because I believe that uh, it solves the triple crisis that the world is facing today, especially emerging markets, especially coastal nations and small island developing states. And the triple crisis is uh, debt, right? Climate and biodiversity. And through properly executed debt for nature swaps or debt conversions, as we call them, we uh, have an opportunity to actually address the, those triple threats in one fell swoop. So Simon, do you share Slav excitements for that for nature swaps? Yeah, I certainly do. Um, I think we all understand, particularly for the small island developing states and coastal nations in the global south, that natural assets are incredibly important, uh, that, that climate change is, is the challenge of our time, and that debt is, underpins uh, a lot of the future challenges that we're going to have to, uh, to face. Yeah, I do agree, actually. I probably wouldn't have expressed it with quite the same excitement as Slav did, but uh, <laughs> that's just the nature of my Britishness, I guess. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. We'll, we'll get all excited about this. But Slav, tell us a little bit about the work you and TNC did in Belize. Where did it all start? Yeah, and, uh, you know, I encourage all of your listeners to uh, go to the prior episode, you know, because that painted a very good story of the Seychelles, which was really the, the granddaddy of the current crop of, of uh, debt deals. I talk about debt for nature swaps 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0. And so the 1.0s are some of the early 
Tropical Forest Conservation Act deals that were done in the 80s, pioneered by TNC, but also WWF, Conservation International, and others. Those involved very small uh, amounts uh, of dollars, uh, sometimes as small as in the single millions, and were bilateral transactions, meaning uh, the U.S., for example, would agree to to reduce its claims against Bolivia in exchange for conservation commitments. Uh, moving on to 2.0, uh, which could describe the Seychelles, that involved actually swapping official debt uh, from the Paris Club. So some similarities with uh, 1.0, but it was a, a more highly structured transaction and it involved, relatively speaking, larger amounts of, of funding 20 plus million dollars, and it involved funding, new funding from TNC and others to replace the existing indebtedness as opposed to reducing those claims at the stroke of a pen. That led us uh, to Belize and Barbados as 3.0, much larger, uh, much more highly structured transactions with arguably much greater financial impact. So Belize, uh, for example, involved the swapping of or the refinancing of $550 million of pre-existing indebtedness with a new financing line of $360 million. In Belize, we worked with the Development Finance Corporation of the U.S. and DFC provided political risk insurance to basically de-risk the new issuance, which replaced uh, the pre-existing Euro bond that Belize was was targeting for retirement. Ultimately, we managed to pull off a capital markets issuance, which was AA rated, very highly rated. Uh, but comparing it then with the prior examples of debt for nature swaps, there were some common elements. So the savings from the transaction still flow through an independent conservation fund. The partner government still makes commitments towards ocean conservation. And so this transaction, just like in the Seychelles, it allowed the government of Belize to make a credible commitment towards protecting 30% of its ocean, which is home of iconic sites like the Mesoamerican Reef and the Blue Hole. Who are the actors in this transaction? And um you mentioned already DFC, but who is yeah. sort of providing the money for the new loan or sort of the investors that are interested in it? Yeah, absolutely. So TNC played a, a pivotal role in, in structuring the transaction. A TNC vehicle benefiting from DFC's political risk insurance commissioned Credit Suisse to raise the new blue bond. And we used the proceeds of that blue bond to extend the blue loan to the government of Belize, which in turn allowed it to refinance the, the euro bond uh, that they had. Those are the kind of the critical actors in, in this transaction. Uh, in terms of who the ultimate investors were who bought the blue bond, those were kind of your typical institutional investors, uh, pension funds, insurance companies, with a very good geographic distribution between North America, Europe, and Asia. Those investors saw two key advantages of this transaction. One, the ability to buy very highly rated paper, you know, insured by the U.S. government. The second one being the environmental or the blue attributes of the transaction, which we can return to a bit later. Indeed, before we, we swap <laughs> to the nature benefits, 
Maybe Simon, you could come in and tell us a bit what role did Willis Tower Watson play and what was the innovative part of bringing in an insurance element? What we were asked to do by Slav and the team was to protect the repayments of the loan in the event of a big climate disaster hitting Belize. And we knew historically that Belize's debt had uh, come under stress after natural disasters. Some of your listeners may be aware that there was a hurricane in the early 1960s, which actually moved, forced them to move their capital from Belize City to Belmapan. Um, and there are numerous other examples through uh, history where there have been impacts from hurricanes, which have done let's say 25% of GDP damage upwards of, and those then put the repayment schedule of their debt under severe stress. And they really in a, in a very hard situation between making, um, trying to make their debt repayments or try and put resources into rapid response and, and early recovery, which we know is ex- incredibly valuable in terms of the ability to kind of bounce back. So what, the, what we did was to design a parametric instrument which effectively triggers for the type of events which are going to put the economy under such stress that uh, making the next debt repayment would severely undermine the response and recovery efforts by the government of Belize. And the debt repayments are every six months. So whatever the next six monthly payment was after the event, the parametric pays that out uh, and pays it to the investors effectively through the vehicle that Slav just, just described. And the government actually gets a formal waiver from making that payment. So it's basically taking off the stress a bit from the government to be able to, as you say, service continually that debt. But then who, I understood also from Slav, basically the US government is is a backup guarantee for the loan itself. But then in the insurance setup, who is the actor that sort of, you know, is paying the premium or is actually putting the money on the table for this insurance payout? So for this deal, the uh, the insurance premium is is wrapped into the debt repayments by the government of Belize. So it's part of the overall debt servicing payments. Is there's an element of that which goes to buying the insurance. Um, that is a fixed amount throughout the term of the loan. That fixed amount that's collected will buy as much insurance as it can do in the current market conditions. Um, the initial deal was for effectively two and a half years. So we've got two full hurricane seasons covered, and then it will be renewed, hopefully for a, a three to five year term. Um, but at renewal, we'll um, negotiate and get the mo- most amount of cover that we can for the fixed premium effectively. Slav, let's talk a bit about yeah the conservation part of it. So what do you see happening already in the country on the ground? Is this sort of cost-saving, uh, helping to improve nature conservation, and in this case, ocean conservation on the ground? Let me first quantify the, the savings. You know, we will be able to channel $180 million over 20 years into conservation funding. This includes a combination of current grant making that the conservation fund will do, uh, in addition, building an endowment, which will allow the continuation of the grant program beyond the term of the transaction. So, you know, we're thinking really long, long term. But then returning to uh, also to the conservation story, this, this deal allowed the government to make a credible commitment to protecting 30% of its ocean. And it, the commitment is credible in part because it is underpinned by this new funding. 
See what I mean? So it is uh, what what we worry about as a conservation organization is the creation of the so-called paper parks, where uh, a government can can make a very bold commitment to protecting large ocean areas, but unless there's specific plans around that, unless there is a marine spatial planning exercise that follows, and then the creation of marine protected areas and specific management plans and funding for those marine protected areas, you have the danger of of creating paper parks. And so our Blue Bonds for Ocean Conservation strategy is a combination of basically conservation assistance, technical assistance, and funding uh, so that you can have vibrant, fully protected marine protected areas. And this transaction closed last November, right? So we're not even a year into it, but things are going very well. We have uh, set up the conservation fund as a truly independent public-private partnership. So the government has participation in the fund, but so do local universities, civil societies. TNC has uh, has board participation on the fund. And no single party has control or majority ownership of the fund, and there is a rotating uh, chair uh, position. In addition, uh, the government has successfully made all of the required payments to date, and we are kicking off the marine spatial planning exercise, which will take a few years. And we're gearing up uh, by the end of this calendar year to start the grant-making program of the fund. So things are going according to plan, even though we are, of course, in the beginning of this 20-year-plus journey. And in that setup, will you also include grant investment or capacity building around nature-based solution and actually as a response, for example, to climate change adaptation and resilience building? Yeah, this would absolutely be aligned with the blue economy uh, strategy of the conservation fund. The conservation fund will will draw uh, specific investment policies and guidelines and basically will open grant-making windows. And we expect that climate adaptation, mitigation, sustainable blue economy around fisheries, sustainable tourism, etc., to be uh, an important pillar of, uh, of this program. Well, coming back to, to the insurance payouts, and Simon, you mentioned this six-month grace period, if you like. In your experience, have we seen similar payouts before, or how do we know that the six months will actually allow the country also in terms of recovering some of its natural asset? Is is that enough? So just to be clear, it's not a grace period. It's, it's The government is just relieved of, of making a, a debt payment, right. whereas yeah. with a grace period, you're, you're kicking the can down the road. Um, so this sort, of, uh, this sort of structure has not been put in place before, um, to our knowledge, around any type of uh, sovereign debt structure. We, we have had these instruments called hurricane clauses, which do put in place automatic grace periods. But as I just said, that effectively just extends the term of the loan, whereas this, this instrument keeps the loan totally current, um, but relieves the government of the, um, the need to pay that next coupon. And the, you know, the minimum period is actually six months, it can be up to 12 months, if you just made a payment just before the, the event happens, then you get almost 12 months of uh, without having to make a payment. Um, is it long enough? 
that's kind of how long is a piece of string, right? Um, with a six monthly repayment, uh, we think that that's reasonable, and it's always a trade off between, you know, what the premium is relative to, you know, how long a payoff you get. So this was a balance that we kind of established as to what the deal would accommodate in terms of those regular premium payments, and you know what we th- think will be most impactful for the government of Belize in terms of the response to a uh, you know a shock event. When exactly would this instrument, this insurance, kick in? There are actually three triggers. They're all around hurricanes, and they involve an um, (laughs) avocado-shaped set of concentric shapes. And uh, I should uh, give Slav a shout out there for the avocado uh, naming of it. The inverted (laughs) avocado, to be precise. And too bad this is inverted avocado. Too bad. Too bad this is a podcast and and and, uh, not a TV show because we we could have shown a, a map, but maybe. Maybe Dorothy, you can include it in the collateral materials for the podcast so that the listeners exactly. can visualize the inverted the avocado. It's perfect. But the um, the avocado actually emerged from the fact that you want to try and capture the impacts around Belize City and the tourism areas out on the on the keys. We had a, a set of concentric circles there, and then a set of concentric circles for the kind of southern, more southern areas, which were actually smaller circles. And then what we effectively did was join those up. Um, and there are three of these shapes. So there's like the stone of the avocado, the flesh, and then the skin. Um, and so what what happens is different categories of hurricanes going into different parts of the inverted avocado can trigger the payout. So. Um, you can have a, a category three through the kind of the stone of the avocado. You can have a category four through the flesh, or you can have a category five anywhere in the entire avocado, um, which effectively covers the whole of Belize. But you can also get a trigger from two cat ones in the same hurricane season, and also from a cat one anywhere in the avocado and very heavy rainfall. Well, let's switch quickly to Barbados, Love. Is it really a one-to-one model of what we just talked about in Belize, or are there still some specificities and tweaking um, vis-a-vis the Belize effort? Absolutely the latter. Uh, it was, uh, Barbados was a bespoke scenario uh, that re- was reflective of the financial and, and other situation in, in the country and shows basically how this model is quite adaptable, right? We we already covered the Seychelles with its own unique features. The use, for example, of philanthropy to supplement TNC's loan there and, and further buy down the cost of the financing. Then Belize, which was a, a massive refinancing of the entirety of the country's pre-existing commercial indebtedness. Fast forward to Barbados, uh, less than a year later, uh, that transaction closed just a couple of months ago in September. And let's contrast the financial situation for a second in Belize and and Barbados. Barbados uh, had restructured its pre-existing Eurobond some time ago, and the new Eurobond of over $500 million was actually trading for long periods of time at par or even above par. And so we had to come up with a solution where we would generate savings for the government uh, so that those savings can then be plowed into conservation. I think uh, Melissa Walsh in the prior episode used the, the example of a mortgage, right? And as a, as a homeowner, you're not going to refinance your mortgage or home loan unless you can you know, generate substantial savings. And so what we did is we forged this partnership with the Inter-American Development Bank. And uh, we decided together to co-guarantee, right? So we used 
credit guarantee product as opposed to political risk insurance, to co-guarantee a new issuance of $150 million, to refinance $150 million of international and domestic commercial debt in, in Barbados. As a result, the issuance had very high investment grade rating, reflecting the AAA credit rating of IDB and the AA credit rating of, of TNC. And the government ran a tender process to identify placement agents and selected a combination of Credit Suisse and CIBC First Caribbean. CIBC First Caribbean is a Canadian bank with operations uh, in, on many islands, including Barbados. And so that duo then placed uh, the new blue bond at a very attractive rate, uh, thus generating $50 million of savings on $150 million issuance. So smaller issuance, but very efficient in terms of savings that can be plowed towards uh, conservation. And because it was a smaller issuance, and because of the environmental and ocean agenda of, of Mia Motley and her government, the government agreed to dedicate 100% of the savings towards ocean conservation and so that those savings can underpin their commitment of increasing their marine protected areas from practically zero to 30% over several years. So it was a, it was a very uh, efficient and innovative transaction and presented basically a kind of a slightly different model and an adaptation, evolution, if you will, of the, of the Blue Bonds model. So indeed, we have to watch the space as well in terms of measuring these positive impacts on the ground. But in terms of blue bonds that for nature swap as an instrument, is it the future for ocean conservation or do we also have other challenges that we need to still face? We see it as a very powerful tool. We Right now, we based on, on those three transactions and especially the 3.0s in Belize and Barbados, um, we have a very active pipeline, both in the Caribbean, but also in South America, Africa, Asia. And, you know, we think that we can do several billion dollars worth of transactions between now and, and 2030, which will, of course, move the needle with our partner governments. At the same time, <laughs> we are sane enough to know that blue bonds or, or debt conversions for the ocean are not a, a panacea. And given that the ocean is the most underfunded of all the sustainable development goals, the world needs to throw the kitchen sink at the problem, including bilateral loans, including grants, private sector financing, right, and impact financing for the ocean. And so uh, what's needed really is all of the above. And also what is needed is for others to do what TNC has pioneered. And we're very encouraged that that is beginning to happen. Uh, we're very hopeful that, that our friends from Pew will be able to uh, very shortly uh, close their Galapagos blue bond. And so perhaps that could be the subject of a, of a future episode or, or the next season and that others will, will continue to innovate and replicate this model, given right, given the debt overhang that exists in many coastal nations and small island developing states, uh, which is not allowing those nations to invest in their own biodiversity and climate. You and I were at the COP27, uh, Dorothy, and I think you will agree with me that the mood was, was rather somber, right? I think that there are a lot of unfulfilled promises, even at the famous or infamous $100 billion level at Copenhagen was never reached. 
in Sharm el-Sheikh, uh, new reports indicated that as much as one trillion per year is actually what's needed in, in the global emerging markets to, to just tackle climate mitigation and adaptation. Now we're moving towards uh, COP15 in Montreal, which of course is the biodiversity COP. And we're hopeful that the world would make some very credible and important commitments towards 30 by 30 conservation, right? Including protecting 30% of the global ocean. And so, you know, our program is very much aligned with all of these initiatives, both with net zero and with 30 by 30. And in a world where uh, a lot of our partner nations uh, are at or beyond that sustainability levels, uh, perhaps the solution is not to pile up more debt, but rather to tackle the pre-existing mountain of debt. If that can be reduced, then you stay debt neutral or better while unlocking funding for conservation. That's why this tool is so powerful in combination with other tools like, like grants, for example, and private sector finance. I agree with you on that, that we need all the tools in the toolbox and obviously insurance being also one of them. So Simon, last question for you. How do you see the role of insurances overall in instruments like the Debt for Nature Swap, but also looking ahead that climate impacts are here to stay for the time being? So what does the future hold for insurance products? Um, I was in Sharm as well, and and I think I'd agree that the mood was somber. But I I do think that there was some, there were silver linings, and it was great to see um, TNC and WWF having full pavilions, um, and you know you really get the sense that nature and biodiversity has its foot fully in the climate COP as well as the biodiversity COP uh, processes. They have to go together. And uh, I, I was encouraged with that. We've been concentrating particularly on how uh, loss and damage fits in with the nature conservation agenda. And uh, we think that there's a, a, a very significant role, as do others. And I think those finances need to be protected from the shock events, which are getting more frequent and more severe. Our aim is to bring in insurance tools, yes, and in some cases, insurance products. And that can include triggering flows of grant funding or other forms of funding. It doesn't have to be global risk capital, but we can use these transparent and objective mechanisms, which are agreed in advance, to really flow funds in very quickly after big shock events. And I'll take the opportunity just to mention that um, we have a program as you're aware, on the Mesoamerican Reef Fund, which uh, an insurance program, and that actually triggered um, two weeks ago for Hurricane Lisa in Belize. It was a Cat 1 storm, so it didn't trigger the resilience wrapper that we have on the Blue Bond, but it did trigger the cover for the Mesoamerican Reef. And that money has already flowed to the Mesoamerican Reef Fund. Their brigades are already into action using their pre-agreed plans and their organization. And that will really, I think, demonstrate the power of having finance available and flowing within 10 to 14 days of a hurricane. And that's going into the Tanaf Atoll Sustainability Association, for example, which is managing the marine protected area there in a quasi-commercial way. And, you know, as we think about the blue economy building out, uh, business interruption against climate shocks is going to be a critical part of any business model for any, any blue economy business. And you can't buy that off the shelf right now. So we need to be innovative about the way we're, we're thinking about how these trigger-based financing tools can be implemented.
Many thanks to my guests this week, Slav Gatchev and Simon Young. Next time, we're going surfing onto the high seas. They make up half of the surface of the planet, but they have had little global attention, despite facing huge ecological problems and yet being so critical. So we're going to dive into the brand new international agreement and ask whether the high seas are any place for nature-based solutions. Investing for Ocean Impact is a fresh air production on behalf of IUCN, the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. It was produced by Phil Sansom with production assistance from Kamout Joseph. To find out more about the subject, visit our website, bluenaturalcapital.org. I'm Dorothy Herr. Thank you for listening. Bye.